Good morning. How's everyone doing? So y'all real quick, y'all see Grayson walking down? This is the first time I've ever seen Grayson wear tennis shoes and blue jeans. <laughs> I promise you, I've been here for four years. Grayson actually said I never wear tennis shoes or blue jeans. So when I pulled in this one, I saw him. I was like, are those tennis shoes? So he must have got some new shoes or something. But... Nah, I love Grayson. We do this all the time. Uh, how's everybody doing on this morning? Good. Uh, we are in the sermon series, Seals, Trumpets, and Scrolls. And so if you wanted to know more about Revelation, this is it. This is your Sunday. If you don't, I'm sorry. Uh, but we're about to have fun, a little bit more fun going deeper into this sermon series. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we're up to chapter 10. And so if you want to know about the previous nine chapters, you can look at some of those series uh, online. Now, if you happen to have any questions uh, about it, feel free to text this number. Chris loves questions. I've said it once. I'll say it again. I don't, but I don't mind answering them. Uh, that's one of the reasons I'm going to seminary, right? So I can learn some more so I can answer those hard questions that you t- all tend to ask. Because I'm like, ah, this is for Chris. I don't know. Uh, no, but we love it. And so we'll talk about whatever you, question you have. Just send it here. We'll answer them in his podcast on this morning. And so it was interesting to ask the question, how is everyone doing on this morning? Everyone said, woo! Every week, get the same, woo! I'm like, man, I guess no one ever has bad weeks. I know for me, you try not to. You try to control. I can't control it. This week was a bad week for me. Personally, it was a bad week for me. I'm going to be honest. You know, whenever I get an opportunity to come up here and talk to you, I can just vent. Y'all can laugh at my jokes, laugh at my pain, and all that good stuff. This week wasn't good. Uh, first off, you know, I'm in school. I chose to do summer school. And I'm thinking, you know, I've done summer school before. At the end of each semester, you get one or two weeks break in between. No, ended on Friday, started on Monday. Not good. And it's Greek, so I'm learning the language. Still not good. I'm like, what in the world? You got me learning all this different stuff. And it's, so it's faster, too. I shouldn't have taken Greek in the summer. I had my first exam this week, so I took off a couple of days just to study for a test for another language, and Tuesday was my wife's, my wife's birthday, but that's a good thing, you know, I don't want to make something like that. <laughs> we got to celebrate that. That was a good thing. But then, to top all that off, as of this Friday, I got my truck back from the dealership. They've been working on it for uh, about a month almost. For the same problem, like I, this is like the third or fourth time I've taken in for the same problem, a little smoke coming out underneath the hood. And it's like I'm, I'm having to call the warranty company because they're not doing their part. And it's just frustrating. And then on this morning, I get a text from my wife that says, hey, I left my keys in your car, so you can't come to church. Uh, so, and she had appointments after church and all that stuff. So if anyone lives near the lake and you want to take the keys to her, you can do that. Holler at me after church. Or I just ask her sister to do it. That's sitting over there. Uh, <laughs> Um, no, but you know, we, it's okay to say your week has not been good. I know for me personally, what can happen is I can lose confidence in, because in just life period, because all the things that are uh, going on around me, the school stuff, work stuff, life stuff, just all the different things. I can lose confidence period. But what can happen is, oh gosh, you left the keys in my car. And then I get start just small things like that. We begin to lose confidence in who God is. And maybe it's just me in doing that, but I, I've come up with a few ways. You know, this, you may have more reasons why you lose confidence, but I come up with a few reasons we lack confidence in God. The first one is he's a bad king. 
we allow circumstances to, to dictate God's kingship over our life. Meaning, you're going through something, and you don't like what you're going through. God, do something. He doesn't do something. It's your fault, God. You're a bad God. Fix this. Handle this. You see how my week is going? I, I ain't had a vehicle like for the first. I was telling James, and he's been laughing at me for the last four and a half weeks about how my truck has been at the dealership for this long. For the first 14 days, I didn't even have a vehicle. So we're in my wife's car. You know, I like to drive uh, like I'm 6'4". So my seat's all the way back, but I can't because Kylie is behind me in the car, and she's kicking the seat because it's so close. It's frustrating. Like, oh, God, I need my truck back this whole week. God, what are you doing? Blame God for stuff like that. Not knowing that in those moments, it's just an opportunity for the whole family to be together all the time. That's a good thing, y'all. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I promise you. But also, we begin to lack confidence in God because we see God as Burger King. That's what we want him to be. We want to have it our way. We want to have it our way as if God doesn't know what's best for us. It's like parenting. What do my kids love to do? They love to jump on the couch. Stop jumping on the couch. And I blame myself at times because I allow them to jump off the couch into pillows and blankets and all those good things. When I say stop, you got to stop. But they keep doing it. I don't want you to hurt yourself. They keep doing it. My daughter, uh, you know, about a year ago, I uh, came up here and said, I don't see the difference really between girls and boys uh, and raising them. And I'm starting to see it more and more and more and more. More and more and more. I was like, oh, this girl, she, she tests my gangster. <laughs> she does. For those of you who don't know what that means, she just, she just makes me want to, I grew up on the east side of Boston, and she makes me want to go back. <laughs> like, I'll tell her, stop. And she'll look at me and just stare. So you've heard me. And she just looks at me. And then she'll start jumping some other. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. I tell, that's when you, know, you tell the, the other parent, come get your child. You know, you say, right? <laughs> but we want to have it our way as if God doesn't know what's best for us. And then lastly, we see God as a broken king. You see what's going on. What are you doing, God? We lack confidence because he's, we see what's going on in the world, but he's not doing anything. And because you're broken, God, I can do better. Let me take over this, this kingship. Let me sit on the throne of my life and for some of us other people's lives and let me handle this situation. Let me take care of it. And so this is where we're going this morning in Revelation. Uh, it's, it's really good. And, and it's a little bit different, and I, and I really enjoyed this text. We'll be looking at chapters 10 and 11. And so Chris gave me permission to preach for an hour since it's two, two chapters. I'm just playing. We'll be out quick. Uh, but if you would, would mind praying with me on this morning. Father God, we thank you uh, for who you are. We thank you for uh, your love and your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you that we can laugh and we can uh, talk about your word, God, but we can commune with you in these moments. We can fellowship with one another, God, on who you are in our lives, God. So I pray that something is said or done, God, uh, to, to speak to your people, God. And if there's someone here today that is struggling with their confidence in you, God, their confidence in what you're doing in their life, God, give them reassurance through your word. You know what's best, God. We give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open them up to... Uh, Revelation chapter 
10. Revelation chapter 10. And, and let me set this up while you're turning there or flicking there on your phones. Uh, we, this, this is a separation between all that we've read up until this point. First off, the scene change. We're not in heaven anymore. Now we're about to come down to earth. Scene one is on earth, and then it'll be on earth in scene two again. And then we'll go back to heaven in scene three. We'll see in, at the end of chapter 11. And so that's the first thing that's changed. But the second thing we see differently from all that we've read before is now uh, John will no longer just be uh, writing what he sees or writing what he's told to write about. John will actually now go from narrator to participator of what's going on in this story. He's about to jump into the screen, WandaVision style. <laughs> all right. Now, some of you have seen it. You that. But here we go. This is what it says. Look at uh, verse one. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. We all know that rainbows represent God's faithfulness and God's mercy on us. Uh, And his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. Where do we see? Does anybody know Bible scholars? Where do we see pillars of fire, fire at? Genesis, or you say Exodus, I'm sorry, Exodus. thought I heard somebody say Genesis. See, that's why I'm in seminary. Uh, I'm just playing. But it represents God's holiness, God's mercy, God's judgment, God's covering that God has us. We see this, God's authority right now is what we see in this mighty angel of God that is standing before John. He had a little scroll open in his hand. So it's not sealed, it's open. And he set his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. This this position of authority that this mighty angel is standing in. Why? Because he's standing both on the land and on the sea. This authority that he's operating in, this is what we're seeing right now. This is the picture being painted in front of us, and now he's yelling out. Like a roaring lion. This roar symbolizes this vengeance that's about to happen on the world that God has authority over. Pay attention to what happens. He says, when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. Uh, Over the last couple of days, whenever we have storm, any, any of your lights ever go out when storms come? Right? This storms are warning that something's about to happen. Even this building, storms, storms happen. Guess what? The law came in one Saturday night to preach prep, and all the lights were off and just the emergency lights on. Had to go all the way to the back, hit the breaker, hit it back on reset. Even today, we had the same thing over the lift once. And the storms, the purpose of this noise, this thunder, is to let you know something is about to happen. It's a warning. So pay attention. Listen. Focus on what God is about to tell us. Verse 4. It says, and when the seven thunders have sounded, I was about to write. And so these seven thunders have given, John has heard something, a revelation from God. And like he has in the previous chapters, he wants to write it down. What does God tell him? But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. God has this way of saying there's some things I have to conceal from you that you are not ready that you're not, you quite can't handle. Remember, a good parent does that for their kids. A good parent takes care of 
their kids and understands that they can't let my, my two-year-old or three-year-old now will not start driving until later on left. I don't, I'm, it's smart of me not to put her in the driver's seat. She's not ready. And so what we see here is God, God re- concealing things that will be revealed later, but right now we're not ready. And so understanding that wherever you are, there are some things that God can't show you. But when you're walking in the confidence of who God is, which means you're spending time with him, you're learning about him, you're in your words, you're praying. When you're walking in that, it should shift and let you say, I trust you, God, right where, right where I'm at. I know it's hard. I know you're in pain, but I trust you, God, right where I'm at because you got me. You have that type of authority because that's what we're saying. He says, don't write it down. Then he says, and the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land... And remember, whenever you start seeing things repeated, it's important. This is the second time we see he's standing on the sea, on the land, talking about God's authority. God has authority. God has authority. We keep hearing this, this picture being painted. God has authority. Whatever you're going through, God has authority. It's hard right now. God has authority. It's tough just being told no so many times. God has authority. Whatever you're going through, God has authority. All right, y'all are listening. Okay. And he raised his right hand to heaven and he swore, I'm sorry, he swore by him who lives forever and ever. And so first we see that God has authority. And then verse six, it shows us why God has authority. Well, he's eternal. He's an eternal God, meaning he, he, he was, he is, he is to come. He's always been. He's the alpha, omega, omega to the alpha. He operates outside of time because he is the creator. He is eternal. It says, who created heaven and what is in it, earth, and what is in it, and the sea, and what is in it, that there will be no more delay. So what was concealed, there's a timing for it to be revealed. And God's about to reveal this revelation to John, to us. He's about to reveal it. But that in the days of the trumpet, I know Christy, one of those things, in the days of the trumpet, God called to the sound, to the sound and sounded the seventh angel, the mystery of God will be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants and prophets and the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again. Then the verse that I then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again. I think this is beautiful in understanding that God is constantly speaking to John. God is constantly speaking to you. You have to be paying attention. You know, I, I said it earlier that we, we tend to lose confidence in God because of all those things that happen in our lives. And I feel like there are different things that do that. Our time spent with God or the lack of time spent with God affects our confidence in God. So I, told, I think I told you all, maybe I didn't. I, my son is running track. He loves it. Runs up and down the house all day in the garage, running on a treadmill. He, he wants to get faster, wants to get better, all these different things. It was beautiful. Like, I should have played the recording from yesterday's track meet with me yelling at my son, just the proudness and the confidence that I had, just seeing him grow. Well, also yesterday, one of my athletes, and, and I say athletes, I'm related to all the kids on the team. So they're my nephews, nieces, little cousins, all that. But one of my athletes, because I'm coach, coach out there, I'm not Uncle Joey. He comes across the field after getting like sixth or seventh, like he was either last or second last crying. I said, what's the matter with you? I lost the race. And so, you know, in my teaching and coaching method, one of the things I love to do, I got to go down to my knee because I don't want them to think I'm this, this guy. So I go down Monday, 
And in my best coaching voice, you do what you do, right? This wasn't Uncle Joey. This wasn't Pastor Joseph. I said, stop crying. <laughs> yeah, I know y'all thought I was going to say something profound or something. <laughs> stop crying. He's my nephew, too, so I got to get on him. But, 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 but and then I told him, I said, did he practice on Sunday? Because we only had practice Tuesdays and Thursdays for about an hour. I said, did you practice on Sunday? He said, no, sir. I'm crying and stuff. Monday, no, sir. Wednesday, no, sir. Friday or Saturday, no, sir. By then, tears have stopped kind of coming down his eyes. I said, if you're not going to put any effort in it, how are you going to cry about it? And I think it's like that with our confidence in God. Well, we don't see God doing in our lives or moving in our lives, but we're not spending time with God. We have these expectations without putting in anything in it, and we don't even see that that God is working through the pain, and God is working through the pain to get us to the promise that he planned for our lives. And we miss it. We miss it. All right. See, where I go? I wasn't supposed to say all that, but then the voice of God, then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. Again, they keep saying it. God's authority is there. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. We see something similar to this Ezekiel chapter 2 where they're taking and eating of the scroll. And it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll uh, from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. My stomach was made bitter. I thought, thought about this, and why would God do this in, in this sense? Well, in this text, what he's trying to tell us is that what's to come after this, all that's being revealed because we're to believe what he heard from the thunder is written on these scrolls. When you eat of the scroll, it's you getting that information, regardless if it's metaphorically or, or whatnot in this, in this scenario. He's getting what, this, this revelation from God. He knows it now. And the reason it's sweet and bitter, we understand the promise as believers of who God and what he said he's going to do for those who are believers. At the same time, it's bitter because of what's to come. What has been is is bad, but what's to come will be worse. It's bitter. And we're going to see more of that as we continue going deeper into Revelation. Verse 11, and I was told you must again prophesy about about many people and nations and languages and kings. First point. The word of the king is sweet and bitter. We don't always like it. We don't always want to hear it. We can't always handle it. But the more time we spend with God, the more we understand that God is working through the pain. We can rest in the confidence of who God is until that which has been concealed is now revealed in our lives. That God knows what he's doing. And he can take us to the next place, and he's taking us to the next place in our lives. That if, he's, if he denies you a job, there's a reason he closed that door. If he said you're not getting that house, there's a reason he doesn't want you to live there. And that he has a plan for your life here. Your confidence has to be in that. Your confidence has to be in that. Why? Because we saw it. He has authority. He's creator. He's eternal. That's where our confidence lies. But the only way we can understand uh, God's authority is spending time with him, knowing him, hearing him. My, uh, my daughter, there's going to be a lot of kids' stories today. I just 
They give me joy. You know, they, they help out with my bad weeks. Uh, but my, my daughter, I, I wore one of them little them fishing caps I wore. I was cutting the grass yesterday. As soon as we got back from track, we started cutting the grass. And the first thing she said when I've, she's never really seen me wear one. First thing she said was, Uncle Chris. Because my brother wears them all the time. And so she recognized from the hat that I looked, I guess, like her uncle in that sense. Why? Because he's worn it. He spent time with it. Okay, still not getting it. Uh, so my dog, uh, I have a big 100-pound, big head, American bully dog, beautiful dog. Everybody gives me compliments about him. He was free. Somebody just gave him to me. I love him. He's a real good dog. My wife says, you act like you don't love that dog. I love him. Anyways, uh, there's a lot of rabbits in our neighborhood. If you drive, you're guaranteed to see at least five rabbits before you get to our house just because they're all out. And when we first moved in, they was all in the backyard all the time. Not anymore. He ain't killed one yet, but every time I open the door, he sprints out of there, tries to get one of them rabbits. Every, and he only runs two, they go two ways out the gate, and there's a path from him going over and over and over, darting to get to, the, like, he literally runs his big head into the gate, trying to stop to get one of these rabbits. Every single time we open it. He spent a lot of time with it. And now there's, in, there's grooves or, I don't know, impressions in my grass from him running across those two spots every single day, every time we let him out. You see, when you spend time in God's word, things begin to change. Like my daughter seeing my brother, he wore the hat. That's what she saw, Uncle Chris, when she saw that. My dog runs out that path. She sees that because that's what they do. When you begin to spend time and your confidence begins to be in God's word and what he's doing in your life, and you trust him through the pain, through the promise, through his plan, through, through all that he has on, there's an impression of God in you. And so when those painful situations come, you don't lack confidence because you trust that God's doing something. Because for some of us, we've been through pain. God brought us out of the pain. He, we've been through hurts. God brought us out of the hurt. We've been through loss. God's brought us out of the loss. We've been through all these things, and God's brought us out. And yet, when we get to the new problem, we begin to, to lack the confidence again. It's almost like starting over. And we miss that God keeps saying, I brought you through it. We done been this way before. But I can't take you to the next place if you don't trust me through this place. So you're going through it again. And again and again. I'm going to strengthen your muscles. I'm going to show you. We're going to do this. Y'all all right? All right, you can be honest. You can be honest. All right, look at chapter 11. Chapter 11 starts off, uh, it says, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. So remember, John is no longer just a writer. He's a participator in what's going on. He's given another task. So first he ate the scroll, and now he's given another task right here. And he says, I was told, rise, so get up, and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside of the temple. And so for those of you who may not know, the temple of God has four courts. First court, deepest one in there, is a court for the priests, the pure, super, super holy ones. They get to go deep in there and pray and do all that. The second court is for just the men. Third court is for the women. And this fourth court that he's saying don't measure is the one for the Gentiles, the impure, the ones who want to do their own thing. Right? And God is calling John to measure what is God's. When you measure something, then you're talking about, hey, this is mine. I want to know, I want you to see what's mine. Metaphorically, I want you to count the people and understand. I want you to measure how big my temple is because this is mine. But I'm going to show you. 
He says, leave that out, that, that fourth court, for it is given over to the nations. He's giving it to the Gentiles, the impure. He, let them have it. It's theirs. He's removing uh, his, his, his divine favor on that outside court. And he's saying, let them have it. Let them do. They, they've seen the plagues already Chris talked about with all his little art and stuff. They, they've seen all those things. So you've got to watch all the sermons or you're going to miss some of the jokes. Uh, they've seen all of those things, and they still not believe it. He said, give it to them. Let them have it. He said, and they will trample on the holy city for 42 months, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. So a cool thing I like about this, one, one is that when you, what people are wearing when you're told what someone is wearing, it tells a story. So you have these two church planters that God has sent down here, Right? He's giving them a church every week. They have the same sermon. Repent. Repent. Ain't nobody going to want to go to that church. Repent. It ain't going to be all the flashy slides. God said, repent. You've seen everything that's happened. Repent every single week. Right? But then they're clothing sackcloth. Sackcloth represents mourning. Things not going good. It's like, hey, y'all need to repent. God's coming. I'm hurting for y'all. Please repent. And so what we're about to see is God's power. So first we saw God's authority, chapter 10. Now we're going to see God's power. Look what happens. It says, these, two are, these, these are the two olive trees, talking about the two witnesses, and the two lampstands. And so, you know, olives represent that anointing, that oil, uh, this idea of being able to anoint the kings. But they're also mediators, the ones who are able to anoint of God. So this is the stand between. This is them. Their lampstands, so their job is to be a light to the world. Verse 5, and if anyone would harm them, fire pours out of their mouth, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. So I, I don't know that this is literally them spewing fire. You know, they're not spitting fire out. It could be them able to say it and fire comes down. But what it's telling us is that God's people are protected when they're purposed, when they're doing what they're, God's planned and called them to do that we see these two being protected, and that as long as there's work to be done, as long as they're in alignment with God, as long as they're doing with God, as long as they're three and a half years, can't nobody touch them. That's what we see here. God's word is going to go forth for three and a half years, and no one can touch them. If anyone will harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. Verse 6, they have the power to shut the sky. So God, through his power, gives them power to cause droughts, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Again, this is that, that exodus kind of feeling we see, but they have this power to shut down the water source, what people need to live. Listen, you need God. He's coming. This is what they preach and repent. He says, verse 7, and when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. Wait a minute. These men of God are about to be killed by the beast. These men of God who have been doing all that God has called them to do are about to be killed. One of the things I would encourage you is don't get caught up, so caught up into the vehicle in which they die, understanding that they did what they were supposed to do. Don't get so caught up in how, but think about why. God's plan. Remember, God 
at this point, just read this as if you don't know what's coming next. Like you can't read the other verses ahead. You can trust in God's power. You can have confidence in God's power because God is what well, we learned in chapter 10. He's creator. He's eternal. Well, we have learned in the previous chapter. He takes care of his. He's trying to get everyone to come to this side so he can, can take care of them. And they're missing it. And so what I love is God, God exposes evil by thinking. Let me let you think you won. That's what he says. Let me let you think. Because God said, I've already won. I've already done this. When I sent my son to die for, every, for, for the sins of the world, we win. We're on the winning team. Look, and it says, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that, is symbolically, that symbolically is called Sodom. For those who don't know Sodom and Gomorrah, it was this horrible carnal city. They were doing their own things, their own king. Like, I'm going to do me kind of mentality in this city. You want to kill, kill. You want to sleep with whoever you want to sleep with, do those kind of things. Like, this was them. Horrible city. And, they, and we see somebody called Sodom in Egypt where the Lord was crucified. And so we're talking about Jerusalem, but it's been given the nickname Sodom because of how much evil is going on there. Well, why did they call it? Egypt, too. I, I, I really like this part because when, when you think of Egypt, of course, you go back to Exodus. So you're paying attention. There's a lot of references back there. But, and in Egypt, there was known for the bondage and the slavery of God's chosen people. And so when Moses was bringing out these people and to start off with the plagues, he talked to, he told his, you know, his brother, stepbrother, hey, yo, God said, let my people go. He's like, nah, I'm not going to let them go. He said, listen, this is God we're talking about. You might want to listen to them. And then the plagues come. And even God's chosen people are upset about the plagues. I'm like, hey, we out. So they leave. When they leave, they get to the, the Red Sea. And they're groaning and complaining. Where do they want to go? Back to Egypt. Back to slavery. Back to bondage. This is what it's talking about. This city now, God doesn't want you to go back to those things that, that have rule over you that is not God. He doesn't want you to go back to slavery. Because even when they crossed the Red Sea, got to the land of Mara, they still complained. Every step away, God brings you out, you complain because you want something else new. God's saying, I don't want you to go back to that kind of mentality, that brokenness. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations, all the people that John was talking about, he has a prophesy to will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb so they can't be buried. Three and a half days, all the news stations, everybody just recording these dead bodies. Why? Well, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry. They're dancing and playing and exchange presents. Like, they turn this to a holiday. This is their new Christmas. These men are dead. Well, because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after three and a half days, a breath, everybody say a breath. A breath of life from God entered into them. And they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, but God speaks life into your dead situations. See, some of us can get so caught up in the loss that we forget that God speaks life into dead situations. Three and a half days. He, he defeated death. He's creator. 
He defeated that. So we don't have to get caught up in that. And so if you feel like there's a situation in your marriage, on your job, in your parenting, God said, I breathe life through those broken situations. I breathe life to, 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 to what you think you know or what you think you lost. If I want you to have it, even if it's gone, you can have it. That's the kind of God we serve. So the king is all-powerful. We got to witness God's power, God's power through his witnesses, God's power to his temple. We get to witness God's power. And what's crazy that even after seeing all that these people have seen, they still missed it. They still didn't believe in God. They, they, I was, when I got my first vehicle, my own vehicle, it was a Kia Sophia. They don't even make those anymore. Stick. Roll up the windows, move back, nothing on it. It was automatic. And my second vehicle was, a, I think, a 1996-97 Kawasaki Ninja, pearl yellow, beautiful motorcycle. <laughs> beautiful motorcycle, right? I got it because I don't know why I got it, honestly. I was 19 years old, and I got a little extra money from school. So I was like, shoot, let me get me a motorcycle. That's just, I wanted to park on campus. That's what I, I'll use as an excuse. I wanted to park wherever I wanted to park <laughs> on campus. And I remember one day coming back, from school, uh, this is the summer I met uh, my wife. I said, I want to go home. Well, we weren't engaged or anything. I want to go see her. And so I remember riding down 35. This is over, of course, this was like 17 years ago. Riding down 35. And when you have, if you've ever ridden, like, call them cross rockets, but a motorcycle, like, it's so easy to go fast and get caught up in the speed. And so I'm coming down, just cruising, trying to make it home to my girlfriend real fast, you know, about an hour, 45 minutes, you know, driving 90 or so. And out the corner of my eyes, I see a police officer. Like when I pass him, I see a police officer. It's too late, I couldn't do anything. And I was like, oh, snap, he gonna get me. I'm going to jail. <laughs> I'm going to jail. And, uh, I see the lights come on, so I said, he's coming for me. He was on the other side, so I said, it's going to have to take him like 20, 20 seconds at least to, to even get on the highway, to get on the highway. So, are there any, like, young, young kids in here? Let me look around before I tell this. So, they won't, the, the little ones won't understand this part. So, so, I did, you know, what anyone, 19-year-old would do. <laughs> I dropped the gear, and I went faster. Don't judge me. <laughs> Don't judge me. Almost two decades ago. Don't judge me. And I'm like feeling all this power. Like I'm like to the point I'm nervous because I'm going 120 miles an hour uh, at least on the highway just weaving through traffic like for like 20, 30 seconds. And I slow down real quick. I exit and I pull into some apartments in the back kind of far off the road and I get off. I'm like, oh snap. He gonna get me. I'm going to jail. That's what I'm thinking. But the reality was I had all this power in between my legs, and I wanted to control it, and I didn't get caught. Now, don't do that, because if you tell <laughs> I just, that's a, I should have prefaced it, don't do what I do. You know, this is one of those do as I say, not as I do kind of moments. You know, you ever, I messed up, right? I know I messed up, but when you have that much power in between your legs and your face and those kind of things, it's like, I got to take control. I can do this. And it's so easy to try to take the king's power because you feel like he's not giving you what you need and, and you're lacking the confidence in him because he's not doing what you want. So it's like you get in these situations in life. Let me take control real quick because I can handle this. 
I can do this quick, quick, quick and easy. Right. The, 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 the metaphoric jails and prisons of our lives, we don't want to get caught in. Right. Between, it could be job situation or relationships. This is the woman, you know, God, I don't know. You're taking too long to send me somebody. I'm going to just pick one. This is the man. Whatever it may be, we just jump to it because we see it in front of us and it's that easy to hold on to. And I'm here to tell you that the king is all powerful for a reason. We can't handle it. We can't do it on our own. I, I, I got to pull away because me trying to be the God of my own life, I'm, I'm struggling just parenting my own kids at times. Trying to take care of them and tell them what to do. God said, I got you. Your confidence can only be in me if you're spending that time with me. Stop trying to take, take it into your own hands. Stop trying to be the all-powerful person in your life and thinking you can fix it. Let's continue. Let's continue. Look at verse 12. It says, then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to the heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to God of heaven. You know, you see, it, it, the three, and, it, and it's, it's, this kind of blows my mind when you think about this holistically, like everything that has just happened. So these people have witnessed for three and a half years, these men bring about plagues, literally people dying because they're trying to harm them and hurt them for three and a half years. You don't see them coming. But three and a half days, you see a damn band come to life, and then you see them rise to heaven, and all of a sudden, earthquakes happen, people are dying. Now you want to come. Yeah. And I'm encouraging you, if, if wherever you are, don't wait and think. It's like, eh, I'm, I'm confident in God, but I'm also confident in myself. Don't wait. Don't be like them. I'm not saying you are, but I, I know me, and at times I can rely on my own confidence in situations. And God says, give me all of you. Give me all of you. Put all of your confidence, all of your trust, all of your faith in me. I know it's hard. He said, but I got you. I got you. It says, the second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. And his Christ, remember, in chapter 1, we talk about the inauguration of Jesus Christ. It's happening. Here we go. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. A response to God's authority, a response to God's power is worship. You're going through painful situations. Your response shouldn't be try to figure it out, take it to my own hand. The response should be worship. God's doing something. He's working on something. He's, he's doing something in life. Saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. And I know previously before this, you see who is, who was, and he's here, so it's not there. I get it. It's not who is and who was and who is to come. It's happening right now. It's not coming. It's here is what we see. For you have taken your great power and begun to Rain and the nations rage, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged. God is completely just. He's completely gracious. He's merciful. He rewards the righteous, big and small. He knows what he's doing because he's all powerful. He has 
all authority. And for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and the destroying, the destroyers of this earth. God knows what he's doing. Remember that loud cry that was like a lion. It was one of vengeance. He's handling those who are choosing not to follow him. He's handling those situations. He's rewarding his saints for doing the work that they've been called to do. You can trust and, and be in confident that God knows what he's doing. Amen? All right, look at verse 19. So then God's temple in heaven was opened. So for those of you that don't remember, at the beginning of this chapter, we started off in the, tip, the temple. John was measuring it, and now we're about to finish this chapter still with the temple. And what does God do? And the ark of the covenant, well, it says, then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder and earthquake and heavy hail. This warning again, he's coming. Everything's being shaken up. He's here. But what I do like about this is, is what we see in this covenant that God revealed, or this ark that God reveals is his covenant with us, or, or his covenant with Christ, I should say. Because the covenant is between Jesus and God the Father. That's the covenant. Like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't stand in the place. I don't have that type of confidence in God that Jesus had. And so this covenant that we see, this revealing of the ark, this, is co- this, this covenant in who God is. So we can trust in the authority, his authority, his power, and that he gets all the glory. God gets all the glory in your pain. And I know it sounds weird when you say that God gets the glory in my pain, but God is, is doing something in our pain for his purpose, for our good. Pain grows you. Pain allows you to, to see life from a different picture. Pain allows you to, 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 to know where your weaknesses are. Pain helps you. And God is doing something in your pain right where you're at. He's saying, I'm going to take you further. Just trust me. And so my question for you today, well, the king gets all the glory. We, and we said that. The, the question for you today is, is your confidence in the king? Is your confidence in the king? And, and I told you that story about my athlete slash nephew where I was like, you know, start crying or whatever, you know. And one of the things that God revealed to me in that situation was that his confidence was in the dub. And for those of y'all, dub is for W, which means win. Yeah. So just help y'all out. So his confidence was in the dub, right? He wanted to win. His, his smile or his tears will come and go with the wins or losses that he will face in this. Or what he thought was the wins and losses in this. He wasn't necessarily, I don't know if he quite loves track, but I know he loves to win. And I'm not saying, we, when you think about this, I'm not saying it's not good to win or none of that. What I'm saying is that when your confidence is just in if I can win, and you're not willing to do the work that will bring you to a place to where you can appreciate a win, to where a win's not given to you, your confidence can, can, can waver with the moments that you're going through. And so my confidence isn't in God and God's win. My confidence is in Joseph's win and, and how Joseph can get this dub. And so if I'm not winning like this week, I ain't been winning. And so if you was to ask me, how's your week? Eh, it's been a week. I'm here. 
if I was to say it honestly, but, but God wants our confidence to be in his glory, our confidence, confidence to be in his power, our confidence to be in his, his rulership over us. And we can miss that because we're not spending time with him, we're not learning. I don't want your confidence to waver in our master that has you covered, that sees you right where you are in your situation, in your brokenness. He's not a bad king. He's just. He knows what he's doing. And I'm grateful for this covenant that he had with us. So much so that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. Not for yesterday's sins, not, not just for yesterday's sins, not for my today's sins, but for my tomorrow's sins. And a day after that. So much so that he held this cross that should have been me. That he hung on the cross that should have been me. Because of my lack of confidence in him. Because my, my, my unwillingness to say no to the desires of my heart for me and my good. My confidence wavers. My misunderstanding of God begins to show itself when problems arise, when tensions are high. God says, I want you right where you're at. I sent my only begotten son to die for your sins. God says, I want you right where you're at. I want you to trust me. I want you to believe on me like you've never believed on me before. I want you to be confident in me. Be confident in me when you feel like you've lost, that I got you. Be confident in me when you feel like you won, I got you. Be confident in me when you have bad weeks and good weeks and when you're fighting with your spouse and when your kids are testing your gangster. He said, be confident in me. He said, I got you. You got to let me get you. You got to spend the time with me. Because the reality of it is, those things we are, we are confident in, those things we feel we have power over, we spend time with them. So much so that they become our new gods. and They're the ones that give us this temporary life. To the point to where they die, we die. But I'm telling you that if your confidence has been in man or in a job or in whatever it may have been, that we serve a God, that if you die because of your confidence and your link to those things, to those Egypts in your life, to those things you've run back to, you've ran back to, if your confidence has been in those things and you, your life source has been in those things, you can have confidence in a king that breathes life through broken situations, through dead situations, through hurtful situations. He got you. And so as we get ready to prepare our hearts and minds for communion, my prayer is that you can confess that lack of confidence to God. There are little cups in front of you that we can use, but take 30 seconds right now. Take 30 seconds right where you're at and just pray. Ask for it. Repent. Repent. Ask God to, to bring about healing, renewal. Our confidence is in God because that is who he is. It's one thing to talk about it, to tell somebody, oh, yeah, God's good. Come to my church on Sunday. But it's one thing to be about it Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. 
when everything is going wrong, with Thursday, I'm going to still trust in God, that he's a way maker. And Friday, when things are looking funny in your life and you just got in this big argument with someone, God is still good. My confidence still is in God. You see, God doesn't want us to just be sometime in and say, God, you can be, you can have authority over my life sometime, but in those areas I feel you are bad. In those areas you do not do what I want you to do. And in those areas where I feel like, and you missed the mark, I'm going to take control. That's not what God is asking of us. He doesn't want more of you, He wants all of you. There's a difference. He doesn't want you sometimes. He wants you all the time. And then when you rely in that kind of strength, when it looks like it's, I, when, when it looks like there is no victory, God says, now watch me work. Watch me bring dead situations in your life to life. He said, watch me work. And you get to go along for the ride. You get to tell that testimony, that story about how God's been that good to you. So I want you to go, not just tomorrow and not just this week, but this confidence in God and giving him all of us is a life change. It's a life change. It's saying no to those things that pull us away. Say no to those things that seek authority, that, that look to give us this temporary comfort and power that we might be kings. Let go of those things. Follow God with everything that is in you and watch God work. You are safe.